Good afternoon, evening, or morning. This is your old Uncle Mosh with Raiders Fan Radio, and you are in for a treat. Sit back and get ready to listen to one of the most insanely knowledgeable people you will ever meet talk about our beloved Raiders. Another episode coming your way of Silver and Black Flashback by Rich Schmelter, the author of the Raiders Encyclopedia. As always, thank you so much, Uncle Mosh, for your kind words. And to my man Murph, thank you so much for the great opportunity you give me to be a part of Raiders Fan Radio, as well as being part of a network that helps out so many through the One Nation Foundation that benefits Raiders-related charities. And to all my silver and black brothers and sisters listening around the world, I am so proud to bring you stories of the people and moments that help make our Raiders history so glorious. So all right, Raider Nation, let's get going on our time together on this, the first episode of Silver and Black Flashback for the year 2023. Hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. I took some time off to complete a few writing projects that I will share with you soon. But even though I was busy, my dedication to Raider Nation was always on my mind, and I am so glad to be back sharing stories of our amazing past. And speaking of that amazing, glorious history... It all started with the arrival of Mr. Al Davis in 1963. Yes, Raider Nation, it is the 60th anniversary year of the time when our Raiders left pro football's outhouse after three terrible seasons and began their rise to pro football's penthouse, and it was Mr. Al Davis that made it all possible. So, to honor this glorious anniversary, for the next few episodes of Silver and Black Flashback, We are going to delve into the life of the man that went by many different descriptions, but despite the positive or negative ways he was perceived, Mr. Davis emerged as a winner through strong determination with a dose, well, maybe more than a dose, of cunning involved on his way to becoming one of the most everlasting figures in the history of professional football. In the case of the Oakland Raiders, the third time was not the charm. Prior to 1963, the organization had gone through three head coaches in as many seasons. However, the fourth time proved to be the charm, and it was a gem that shined as bright as the diamonds in the multiple Super Bowl rings the franchise earned throughout Al Davis's watch. On January 15, 1963, the football world was officially introduced to Oakland's new head coach, Al Davis, who would mold and shape the tattered franchise into one of professional sports' most intriguing and dominant organizations. The climb to gridiron supremacy began for the patriarch of the silver and black empire clear across the United States in Brockton, Massachusetts. On July 4, 1929, his parents decided to move to Brooklyn, New York when Davis was young. The family resided on tree-lined President Street in Crown Heights, and Davis's father made a good income as the owner of a garment manufacturing company. Al Davis became enamored with sports by following his hometown Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Yankees baseball teams. The Yankees were the American sports scene's elite, winning World Series at a feverish pace in the late 1930s and 40s. And during Davis's teenage years, the Brooklyn Dodgers were on their way to becoming a dominant force in the National League and just beginning their cherished Boys of Summer era. To Davis, the Yankees represented power, striking fear into the opposition, 
while the Dodgers primarily used speed and power on the base paths to rise to the top. The making of these two powerhouse teams left an impact on Davis, and 20 years later, he applied these concepts to the Raiders. Power, speed, fear, and taking what they wanted when they wanted it. This type of philosophy might have began for the silver and black in 1963, but its roots went back to the Yankees and Dodgers in the 1930s and 40s. The city of Oakland and dominance of the football community was still a world away as Davis progressed on his path toward adulthood and eventual conquest of his chosen profession. Also, for the time being, the influence that the Yankees and Dodgers had on the Brooklyn teen was tucked away temporarily in his thoughts while he made his way through Erasmus High School, where he was a reserve on the basketball team. Upon graduation, Davis attended Wittenberg University in Ohio. But after one semester in Ohio, he came back east and enrolled at Syracuse University, where he remained throughout the rest of his college days. He played junior varsity football and basketball, waited on tables in the campus cafeteria to help with his finances, and earned a degree in English. And it was while at Syracuse that Davis began pursuing information about football with a passion and turned his desire for the sport into a career. And what a career it was. Now, Davis never played varsity football at Syracuse, but attended practice, absorbing the action on the field like a sponge from the bleachers. With a passion and drive to succeed, he wrote down meticulous notes and diagrams. The head coach of the Syracuse football team noticed the young, intense Davis day by day, but did not know who he was or what his agenda could be. The possibility that he was a spy from an upcoming opponent entered the coach's mind, and apparently, for that reason, he did not want Davis surveying his domain and had him banned from the area. Well, Raider Nation, if only that coach had been friendly enough to get to know Al Davis, he might have allowed him access to his world. Regardless of that snub, Davis was not deterred. If anything, it sparked more drive and determination for him to succeed. Upon graduation from Syracuse, Davis set out on his quest to secure a coaching position. His first step toward that greatness that he would eventually achieve began with an impromptu visit to Adelphi College in Garden City, New York, close to the western edge of Long Island. However, at first, Davis was once again met with opposition. Davis introduced himself to the small college's athletic director and told him about some articles he wrote pertaining to blocking assignments. Despite the sales pitch, the athletic director informed Davis that the college was not hiring. Davis remained congenial while being turned down and left that office already thinking about his next move. Instead of seeking out other avenues, Davis remained steadfast in his desire at getting a position with Adelphi. He next took his plea to the top of the academic food chain. He met with the college president, and after using his charm, football knowledge, and passion for the game, and mixed in with possibly a little cunning maneuvering, Davis landed a coaching job within a half hour. The president of the college relayed his interest in the young upstart to the athletic director, and Davis was hired as an assistant in charge of the offensive line from 1950 to 1951. All L. Davis wanted was a chance, 
And once given that opportunity, he proved himself worthy by exhibiting a great feel for the game, coupled with a keen eye for talent and detail. He also used that football knowledge to command a presence about him that never diminished with the passing of time. Whether he was loved or despised, the aura he cast was a giant one. While serving in the Army during the Korean War, Davis remained stateside and became head coach of the Fort Belvoir football team in Virginia from 1952 to 1953. Following his military service, Davis received his first opportunity in the professional ranks with the Baltimore Colts in the capacity of player personnel man in 1954. In 1955, he returned to the teaching aspect of the game with an appointment as line coach and chief recruiter for the Citadel, which was a military college in South Carolina. And after two seasons in South Carolina, the young assistant on the rise then headed off to California, where destiny would lead him to football immortality. All the accolades bestowed on Davis from this point on occurred in California, with the first coming at the University of Southern California in 1957 as line coach. In 1960, the American Football League was getting set to begin operations and opened countless doors for players and coaches, many of whom, including Al Davis, became legends. Sid Gilman was already well-established as a future legend by the time the Los Angeles Chargers made him their first head coach in 1960. Sid Gilman was considered the patriarch of the modern passing game, with his offensive scheme being to attack a defense swiftly and repeatedly. His head coaching tenure in the pros prior to the Chargers was with the Los Angeles Rams from 1955 to 1959. Gilman had met Al Davis while both were speaking at football clinics in the 1950s. Gilman became very impressed with Davis as he shared the same desire to attack defenses through the air any time throughout the game and not just when facing crucial situations. It was all thanks to this offensive guru, Sid Gilman, that had the vision to see something special in the 30-year-old Al Davis and brought him into the Chargers' fold as offensive end coach in 1960. Under Gilman's guidance, Davis was exposed to one of football's greatest minds, and he absorbed all the knowledge available about the vertical passing game that made use of the entire field for three seasons. During those three seasons, with Al Davis on the staff, the Chargers rang up points and victories at a rapid pace and won two American Football League Western Division championships. While the Chargers were among the upper echelon of AFL teams, several hundred miles north, the Oakland Raiders were the league's downtrodden on the verge of total collapse and despair, to put it mildly. First off, the Raiders had no place to call a real home field, having played in three different stadiums in as many years. They had nine wins over the course of their first three seasons, with six of them coming in their first season. Three head coaches came and went, and home crowds were, well, virtually non-existent. People in the area just did not care about the pathetic excuse for a pro football team that the Raiders supplied. In fact, relocation seemed likely in late 1962, as New Orleans, Cincinnati, and San Antonio were all looking to obtain a pro franchise. The ownership group wanted to keep the team in Oakland, but knew the team's fortunes had to turn around quickly or their investment would go bust. All right, my silver and black faithful. 
This is where we will end part one of Al Davis's incredible story with our beloved Raiders on the verge of complete ruin, but not for long. So please return for part two to share the amazing turnaround of our Raiders with Al Davis firmly at the controls. I have to give out much respect to some people who have been with the show since the beginning. Matt, Bruce, and Baba, you guys offer me encouragement every day and help make me truly believe in this show. And, of course, never to be left out is the comedy duo of Jim P. and Josh H. Hey guys, I noticed some new superhero t-shirts lately. Santa must have been real good to you. And with that, until the next time we get back together once again, I will end this episode like all the previous 50 and all the ones to follow. And how is that? By signing off with the words I embrace each and every day. Damn, I missed this. Here it comes. Matt, Bruce, Bamba, and Jim P. Get ready. Say it with me. Love you, Raider Nation. <laughs>